You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Jack Lewin, Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Cardiology. Because new cardiac technologies are often rapidly integrated into clinical practice, we must be mindful that these innovations can contain a level of risk. Regrettably, we've seen this before with implantable cardioverter defibrillators, and some experts say the next generation of ICDs could pose similar problems. Our guest is Dr. Robert Hauser, Senior Consulting Cardiologist at the Minneapolis Heart Institute and a founder and past president of the Heart Rhythm Society. Dr. Hauser is the author of an article recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine expressing concerns about the newest line of ICD technologies. Welcome, Dr. Hauser. Thank you. Nice to have you with us. Well, you know, there are some exciting new developments coming in ICD technology, but I wanted you to comment for us. How are these new devices different from previous generation? Well, the new device is a connector system that involves both the defibrillator lead itself as well as the pulse generator. The system is called a four-pole connector. The current system has a trifurcated lead with three legs. Two of the legs are devoted to high-voltage defibrillation, and the third leg is for pacing and sensing, which are low-voltage applications. The new connector system will reduce the size of the pulse generator and the connector and also the size of the lead so that there is less bulk. And it does that by incorporating all of the electrodes on a single leg, which is inserted into a single cavity in the pulse generator. This will not only reduce the amount of lead bulk in the pocket, but it will also decrease the chance of abrasion between the pulse generator and the lead. So there are real benefits in terms of patient comfort and potentially reliability. The current system has been in use for decades, and it isolates the high-voltage connectors in separate cavities. The rationale for this is to prevent short-circuiting during high-voltage shock delivery, and it has been very successful in doing that. With the new system, the electrodes are not in separate cavities. They are separated instead by seals, and these seals are millimeters in width. If there is a short circuit between the electrodes, then life-saving defibrillation may not occur. So my colleague and I, Adrian Omquist, have suggested that this new connector system, this new four-pole connector system, be subjected to a clinical trial to demonstrate that it is at least not inferior to the current system. In other words, there's a trade-off here. These new devices are going to be more comfortable for patients. They're smaller and theoretically then easier to be tolerated. On the other hand, we've got an untested element here, which is this common lead with insulation between what were separate leads before. So, you know, in terms of the device itself, is there a way that we could safely get into using these in humans? Could we do some testing ahead of time that would allay these concerns for you? How would you like to approach this in terms of getting these products on the market safely? Well, first, this particular design has been in the works for at least three years at the various manufacturers. 
And there is a standard that has been written by the International Organization of Standards in association with the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation. That's the U.S. organization that deals with standards. So the design has been gone through in great detail, and each of the companies have been testing their own versions in the laboratory and in animals. We feel, however, that bench testing alone and animal testing alone does not always predict how a product is going to perform in humans. And the reason for that is there is no bench model that I know of or that has been published in the peer-reviewed literature that is 100%. So we are suggesting that each of the companies that wish to market uh, this new four-pole technology conduct a clinical trial. And the clinical trial would be focused on showing that it is safe and effective. When are these products actually scheduled now to make it to the market? don't know. We have not been notified by any one of the manufacturers that they are ready to place these on the market, but we do anticipate that this will occur in 2009. Okay, so it's soon. You've been down the road before in providing warnings that have proved accurate about defective heart devices. So could you give us a little background on some of that work that you've done in the past with you know, Medtronic, Sprint, Fidelis, and so forth? We have a multi-center registry, which has been active since 1998, so we have a 10-year experience with gathering data prospectively. So we've been monitoring device performance for some time. In the case of the Sprint Fidelis, in January of 2007, we felt that there was a problem with this particular lead. And incidentally, the Sprint Fidelis was approved by the FDA and marketed by Medtronic without any human clinical testing. The approval was based strictly on bench testing and probably some limited testing uh, in animals. This particular lead was implanted in 268,000 patients uh, before Medtronic removed it from the market in 2007. And since January of 2007, we have continued to see an accelerating failure rate of this particular lead. We cite this as an example of why human testing should be undertaken because, as you can appreciate, there are many patients out there who have the Sprint Fidelis lead. They are undergoing a repeat surgery to replace the lead when it fails. And uh, many of these patients are actually undergoing some prophylactic replacement as well. You actually were involved with a guidance product as well earlier. We reported a problem with the guidance generator. That actually also involved a problem outside of the can itself. It was in the connector and we had a patient who died during a shock delivery because of a short circuit in the connector itself. So I guess, Dr. Hauser, your view is that we risk repeating some of these missteps with new devices if we don't take the the proper research steps first. That's right, and we have to recognize that these patients still have to undergo repeat surgery when their battery depletes. Uh, Current ICD pulse generators last between three and a half and six or seven years, depending on the model. So many of these patients do have repeat surgery. We've learned in the last several years through good studies published in the peer-reviewed literature that just simple pulse generator replacement is associated with infection and other wound complications. So anything we can do to avoid having to go back into a patient to repair a preventable problem is worthwhile. If you're just joining us, if you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jack Lewin. Our guest is Dr. Robert Hauser, cardiologist at the Minneapolis Heart Institute. 
We're discussing potential concerns about new ICD technologies. Dr. Hauser, FDA says post-market testing is going to be required. And how long do we need to follow these kinds of studies to determine if they are, in fact, as safe as they're built to be by manufacturers? I think that depends on the device. For pulse generators, it's likely that a relatively short period of time is required to demonstrate uh, safety and efficacy. For leads, however, we've learned over the years that uh, many lead problems will not uh, surface for years after they are introduced into the marketplace. So I would like to see new lead studies of two to three years duration minimum. And then following that, a very well-designed post-market study so that we are able to recognize problems before they occur and to potentially deal with them in a prophylactic manner. In addition to these kinds of steps that you've recommended, do you see anything that ought to be built into the devices themselves or the leads that would be secondary fail-safe mechanisms? In other words, is there some way to provide warning within the device itself of an impending problem that would head off some of the adverse clinical events? In fact, all of the companies are devoting a great deal of attention to monitoring systems that will detect a problem before they become clinically significant. For example, on the Sprint Fidelis lead, the problem with the lead is the conductor will fracture. And there are ways now to detect the deterioration of the conductor before it actually breaks. When it does begin to fail, it will generate non-physiologic signals, which the pulse generator interprets as ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation, and the patient will receive multiple inappropriate shocks. About 60% of our patients have received multiple shocks 20% have received one or two shocks, and the other 20% we've been able to pick up. There is a new algorithm which Medtronic has introduced called the Lead Integrity Alert, which not only measures the impedance, but it also looks for these non-physiologic signals. When they're identified by the pulse generator, it emits an audible alert, and the patient can contact the physician or the hospital right away. Well, you know, when we're making a decision to proceed with this kind of procedure, I mean, these are life-saving devices. You know, the problem of sudden cardiac arrest is huge. So, you know, these are wonderful technologies. But when the patient and the doctor make the decision to go forward with this, are the patients being routinely informed of the situation here? Uh, No human testing, animal testing not sufficient, engineering tests, you know, haven't been completed in the way that they could be. You know, is that happening? And then secondarily, will patients have any recourse? Should there be a problem later? If a product is FDA approved, I would expect that many physicians are telling patients that it is FDA approved. And both patients and physicians expect that when a product is FDA approved, it is no longer investigational. My view is that a new product like this four-pole connector is an investigational device. And patients uh, should be told that it's a new technology and that there are risks, and those risks are not insignificant. Interestingly, in the past year, the Supreme Court ruled in a case... uh, Sure, Regal and Medtronic. Regal v. Medtronic, that if a medical device is FDA approved, that a patient cannot press a lawsuit in a state court against the manufacturer. Well, that certainly speaks to prior notification, uh, even more important. 
you know, this whole issue speaks to the large question of how much and what kind of testing needs to be done before devices are put on the market. So we have a whole new administration. We've got a new, somebody's going to come in to FDA soon. And how would you pursue this question? Looking at the Obama administration and whoever's the new FDA administrator, how should this be pursued? What would you recommend for these new folks in terms of approaching this differently than the past administration did? I think the FDA needs to become a rigorous scientific organization that's led by distinguished scientists who have the freedom to apply scientific methodology. One of the problems in the past four to eight years is that the scientists inside the FDA, I believe, have not had the say that they should have when it comes to approving new devices, when it comes to post-market surveillance, or uh, even alerting the public that there is a, a safety issue. So that's my number one recommendation to the Obama administration. We need a change within the FDA. The FDA uh, is the supreme arbiter of medical devices and, of course, drugs. And if it's going to do its job, it has to be uh, scientifically sound. The American College of Cardiology has, as you know, an ICD registry that's up in uh, just about every hospital in the country that tracks ICDs. But we can't track patients longitudinally once they're out of the hospital yet. You know, we're looking for ways to do that. We've got the issue of patient IDs. We've got the issue of getting ambulatory registries going. How can we track periodic updates and reports on these devices in the meantime while we're moving on the broader approach to actually having tracking of cardiovascular disease across the outpatient and inpatient spectrum? Well, there's several answers to that. One is if we put more horsepower behind the registry, the ICD registry, we'll be able to harvest a great deal of information. The second is that the manufacturers are doing a much better job in providing product performance reports. I monitor these on a regular basis, and we're tracking pretty well with our internal data with what the manufacturers are reporting in general. It's not always the case, but it is usually the case. And the third is we need multi-center studies that are done in the traditional way. And we are in the process of putting together a multi-center program prospective following ICD pulse generators as well as leads. And we will be following the patients as well. Well, this has really been a timely and interesting discussion. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Dr. Robert Hauser, assessing the latest innovations in ICD technology. Dr. Hauser, Thank you for being our guest. Thank you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.